Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Plenty to get to here over the next 45 minutes or so, including our interview with Wisconsin assistant coach Orlando Tucker. Get into plenty of stuff with him as Wisconsin gets ready to go on the road and face Michigan, a top 10 Michigan team, an unbeaten Michigan team on Tuesday night. The Badgers come into their game ranked number nine. Wisconsin, excuse me, and Michigan is number seven. It's the first time they've ever matched up as top 10 teams in their history, and they've played quite a bit. So it's uh, it should be a big-time matchup there uh, in Ann Arbor tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and then they obviously go to Rutgers later in the week. Now, Rutgers was ranked. They are no longer ranked, but they were ranked before, and, and there's just no easy game. And uh, better teams than this Wisconsin team have gone into uh, <laughs> Rack Arena and lost, but they will uh, not have to face a crowd there, though a lot of years they haven't had to face much of a crowd there either. But either way, uh, it's, a, it's a tough week, right? It's a, it's a difficult week for Wisconsin that you know could maybe go a long way to establishing their spot here in the Big Ten. But right now they're sitting at 4-1 and one in Big Ten play, coming off a nice win against Indiana, a double OT win that I sat there for a long time didn't think was going to happen because they could, just could not get a stop in the second half against uh, the Hoosiers. I shouldn't say for the second half. For a large portion of the second half, they could not get a stop against uh, Trace Jackson Davis. And it was... Uh, I mean, he was 7-for-7 seven seven at one point. He had 16 points and 7 boards in the second half there at one point. It was a rough start, but then they found their way. And Demetri Trice came up clutch. I, I'd like to get into that game with you, Jesse. I mean, when you were watching it, that second half, were you, did it look a little bit like Maryland to you? It felt that way, certainly, to me. I, I thought Indiana just kept making shots, and obviously Wisconsin ultimately did too, but it felt like the Hoosiers are starting to pull away, and it could be deja vu from what we saw against Maryland. But that game was so fascinating, the Indiana double overtime game, because there were so many storylines that emerged throughout. You talk about uh, Jackson Davis and just how much trouble he gave them. He kept scoring inside on Micah Potter, and I'm sure everybody watching noticed that Potter spent a considerable portion of the second half and, and all the first overtime on the bench, and Greg Gard ended up using it a different lineup because he wanted his best defensive lineup, which which wound up working out fairly well. But I, I thought that was fascinating, and also we talked about Demetric Trice multiple times. He has just become, to me, he looks like a, a totally different player, and not that he didn't have the handles and, and the shooting and spurts before. But when you need a bucket, he is your man. And this is not the first time that we've seen it. And every time it looked like Indiana was potentially going to pull away, Trice did something special. I mean, you, just look at the end of the game. He, he, he got fouled with a little over a minute left on a, a drive to the bucket, and he hit two free throws to tie the game. And then he scored that floater in the paint to tie the game again with 21 seconds left. And then just every time they needed something, it was him and then Tyler Wall making the big three. So to me, it was just a, one of the best wins of the season for Wisconsin. I know Indiana, you know, right now would be sitting at seven and five, which doesn't seem all that impressive, but that's a very good Indiana team. And that was a game that easily could have gotten away from Wisconsin. But now you're looking at the Big Ten standings and you're starting to see the separation here, right? Separating the men from the boys, the teams that maybe we thought would be near the top are still there. I don't know if everybody had Michigan undefeated at this point, but your top four right now are Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois. And I think coming into this season, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois were considered among those contenders from the start. They definitely were. And, and you're right. Demetri Trice has been fantastic of late. 
I mean, look at his look at his last four games. Wisconsin's three and one in that stretch, but he scored twenty nine points, twenty five points, fourteen points, twenty one points, and he's also still been a facilitator in there. I mean, he's uh, he has seventeen assists in those in that four game stretch as well. Hasn't turned the ball over at a huge clip, and you're right, he's clutch. But I think like the biggest difference between him and and maybe in past years, his offensive game is he's not just hitting his three pointers. Like he's his field goal percentage is up significantly, especially on two pointers, which has never been a strength of his, right? Like that's never been he's never been he's been a really solid three point shooter, but driving and uh, you know finding like mid range shots and that type of stuff, it hasn't always been great. He's shooting forty five percent from the field overall, and forty two obviously from, from three point percentage, but that means he's shooting over that than for for uh, from two, which I think is a big deal for a guy whose field goal percentage. For his career, you know, is uh, or I should say, the the last three years has all been around around thirty eight percent. He's eight percent, eight seven percentage points higher this year than last, or than than for most of his career. It, it feels like there's just a certain level of confidence with him that he just knows it's my turn to take over, and I think that's radiating all, all over the court. Right? It's as you said, it's not just the threes, which that percentage is up. We've seen it ebb and flow over the years, but he's playing it. The most consistent level he's ever played at. He's he's averaging career highs in scoring. He's leading the team in scoring, obviously. And so I think, yeah, it's it's all those things and and the willingness to to take the big shots. Um, you know, I, there were a couple different big time shots that he made, but another one that I didn't mention was in the first overtime. Yeah, they were down two points, and he hit. It was a tremendously difficult shot. It was like he got a switch. Reaver set a pick, and he hit a step back jumper where he, he was just dribbling, crossing the guy over. It was to me an exceptionally high degree of difficulty. And it was like, it was nothing. And he ties the game at 69 with 11 seconds left. That's just another example of if that shot doesn't go in, Wisconsin probably winds up losing the game. And I think, you know, last year he got a lot of praise for his defense. I think it's still right there too, right? Like it's not something that he's only good on one end of the floor right now. He's been good on both ends of the floor. And uh, I, his exact percentage on two-pointers is 47.9%. He shot 38%, 37%, and then 34% in the last in the seasons where he actually played a full season. Like it's it's like almost 10 percentage points higher. So that is uh, has been a significant part of his game, but the, the clutch aspect of it is is where I think I've come around on it. Where maybe not at the beginning of the year, but would you have said at the beginning of the year he's your he's your go to guy at the end of the clock? Probably because he's point guard. But like there was a question, right? There was especially last year there was a question like who's who's the guy going to take that last shot? It's him, and it's not even close right now. Yeah, I mean, he has ascended to an entirely different level this year. There's no question about it. And we had these discussions in previous seasons, right, about, well, do they have someone who can break a guy down? And if they can break somebody down, can they get their own shot off? And I think Trice was probably considered the one guy who potentially could do that, but certainly not at the level that he's doing at now where you you almost, you'd be surprised if he didn't make some of these shots because of how regularly it's occurring. So yeah, he's just been an an unbelievable clip, and the assist-to-turnover ratio continues to be high. He's got 44 assists and 16 turnovers. And he had seven assists and one turnover against Indiana. You know, we're praising all the things that he does well, but the ability to distribute and to not turn the ball over is something that has helped to separate him as well. He's, he's playing at an all-Big Ten level this year. The other main story, I guess because we already actually talked about it, the two big three is from Tyler Wall. The guy was two for nine from three coming into that game. He hadn't taken a single three all game. And then he finds himself open in the corner and drills it. 
and then the next one coming on down, and it was late in the shot clock, but then the second one coming down, kind of on the wing there, drills it. I'm not expecting him to become a prolific three-point shooter, but that changes him as a player, does it not? Like, if he's if he can hit that at a more regular clip, all of a sudden, if he can hit it at a 35% flip and becomes a scorer, then he becomes a dynamite player for them because he's a really good defender. He was out there for that last 16-38 of the game because he was part of the best defensive lineup. And he also had a huge steal that kind of got them going. Like, they were, I think it was, was it, they're down five, and he uh, and he got the steal that... Um, on a on a really you know he took a chance is what he said and he got the steal and got the um got the two and it kind of I don't know it stopped the bleeding a little bit I would say he's 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 coming around I I know those two I I know we don't want to put too much emphasis on those two three pointers and make him into something more than they are but it was a huge moment and uh, we saw that huge moment uh, because of how happy he was but also how happy Orlando Tucker was and we'll talk to and you'll hear. When we talked to him about that, because he worked a ton, and and Demetri Trice talked about it afterwards. Him and Tyler Wall spend a ton of time, or they're the last two, I guess, after shoot around, and they're all working with with Tucker, uh, with Orlando, on their shooting, and a lot of it is that spot up shooting for uh, for Tyler Wall, and it looked perfect on uh, against Indiana. Yeah, that was his season high in scoring twelve points. We talked before about his Green Bay game when he had eleven points and fifteen rebounds. To me, this was. Maybe this is probably his best game since then. Um, And he hadn't made a three since that Green Bay game. Not that he's shooting more than one a game, but he went a month, month and a half (laughs) between making threes and it couldn't have come at a bigger time. The second overtime was really the Tyler Wall show, but there were a couple other plays that stood out that you mentioned. The steal and the dunk, there was a little over five minutes left in regulation and that cut Indiana's uh, lead to three. And that's one of those instances where it feels like this is starting to get out of control. If Indiana scores there, maybe it's a three-possession game. There was a moment in the first overtime a minute in when he forced a jump ball on Jackson Davis, and Indiana was leading by three points. He just he puts himself in such great position. And I, I've i got, like, my last four or five notes all start with wall, wall, wall in the, in the second overtime. He, he walled up, and he got a stop at the bucket. And then on the other end is when he hit the first three. Davison found him in the left corner. And so that gave Wisconsin the 74-70 lead. And then less than a minute later, he hits that other three that Trice finds him. And that basically ended the game. And on the next position, he, possession, he got a rebound off a missed three. So he just he does all those little things well, which we knew about. I remember writing a story about him when he first came in and kind of asking players if there were comparisons to Brad Davison. And some of that had to do with just the fact that he'll get under your skin if you're an opponent. And yeah. he'll, he'll, he's willing to take charges. But those things do add up, Those the ability to do the little things. But from a scoring standpoint, absolutely. If he can start making those shots, it adds more versatility. It makes the offense more dynamic. And it's going to get him on the floor more. It will. The other guy that we haven't talked about but played a big, significant role in that game was, was Johnny uh, Jonathan Davis because yeah. he played 41 minutes. He played the second most minutes of any guy other than Trice. And... Uh, that's saying a lot. And he was another guy that was on the floor for that last sixteen thirty-eight part of that lineup that uh, went when Greg Gard said Greg Gard said he he had seen enough. I think is what he what he said after the game, and he just said we're going to go with this lineup until they fall out or they fall over. And uh, Johnny Davis went for forty-one minutes. It was a career high. It would have been a career high even without the overtime because he played. You know, it's uh, thirty-one minutes in regulation. He didn't shoot it very well. He was two for eleven. Um, a lot of tough shots. Yet he was out there as a rebounder. I, I, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of a guard who has rebounded 
maybe as well as him consistently. He, he just it feels like he's just got he's a quick jumper. Does that make sense? Like it's uh, when the ball goes up, it feels like he can get up maybe even more than once. He can jump more than once than the other team can get up there once. Like it, it feels like he's a quick jumper, and that's another thing that I wanted to ask uh, that we asked Alondo about because he was the same way. Like, really, really quick jumper, and then it felt like he could get two jumps before the other team got one. Yeah, in terms of best rebounding guard, it's probably on a different level, but I just remember early in the season when Ben Brust was playing, he was getting these double-doubles. He was, like, stealing rebounds from Jay yeah. Bergeron and guys who getting 10 rebounds. But yeah. Davis is definitely the full package, and what he's doing as a freshman. To play 41 minutes, uh, it says a lot about him. And you're right, he didn't shoot very well, but he brings that energy he makes big plays. There was a play early in the game where he got a defensive stop. He saved the ball like behind his back going out of bounds. And then on the other end, he had a baseline drive to the left and he pulled up and he buried a jumper. So I know he didn't score a lot, but he just gives you some of those hustle plays and that athleticism that maybe the rest of the the backcourt doesn't have in that way. So again, another guy who is going to continue to get a ton of minutes And the more he plays like this, the more you start to kind of narrow down how many freshmen, true freshmen, have contributed in this way. We probably have to dig a little deeper into that. But there's just not many guys that come in and and would play that much at Wisconsin that early. Is it irrelevant that he's not a starter? Like, I feel I feel like it's relevant that him and Wall don't start. Well, it's (laughs) relevant in terms of what discussion when making comparisons to other freshmen. Well, no, or just his relevant to the idea like. Because his contribution, like I think that's, I think it's irrelevant that he doesn't start. I don't think it's, I think it's, it's irrelevant because people want starting lineup changes because they've been, they've, they've struggled out of the gate, haven't they? Not, I mean, they, they have, they have not been great to start games. Um, they've been slow out of the second half at times. Some people calling for a different uh, starting lineup. I don't think the starting lineup needs to change. I feel like getting Wall and Davis off the bench is uh, a shot in the arm that that you perhaps don't have. If you're trying to, if you're bringing other guys off the bench, right? I'm with you, and we discussed this before. I, I don't think you make changes to the starting lineup. It's a, it's a veteran lineup that has played a ton together, and it's not like Davis and Wall aren't getting significant minutes. And you do need something off the bench. I suppose if you flipped it, then you'd have some seniors coming off the bench. But yeah, I mean, he's almost playing like starters minutes. Uh, you know, he played 30 minutes against Minnesota. He played 30 minutes against Michigan State. This is a guy who's coming off the bench. A lot of starters don't always play that many minutes. So I, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think it diminishes what he's doing. And, and maybe maybe it is slightly irrelevant to the conversation. But another thing that I wanted to bring up was we're talking about some of the slow starts that Wisconsin has had. And there was something said on the television broadcast that if they hadn't said it, I would not have been aware of just how skewed this stat was. Nate Reavers and what he does in the first half and what he does in the second half. In Big Ten games... They said this on the broadcast. He had scored six points in the first half on three of 18 shooting. And in the second half of Big Ten games, 39 points on 14 of 23. It's almost inexplicable that a player that is of the caliber that he is capable of being at has been so bad in the first half and so good in the second half. It doesn't make sense. Well, let's talk about him because there was that that stretch in the first half. I I don't know if I've seen him play poorer than that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't, it was, and I can say that now without feeling bad about it because his second half and what he was able to do in the last 1638 of that game, you know, made it okay, right? But like, that was bad. 
And it was bad enough to get the guys that don't normally swear, Demetri Trice and Brad Davison, two guys that you're not going to hear a ton of swearing from, uh, telling him to get his, and Trice said he couldn't say exactly what he told him, but he said get get his butt out of his head. Or, uh, excuse me, get his butt out of his, uh, get his head. Get his head out, out of his butt. Uh, sh- shut up. Shut up. Get his head out of his butt. And this is this has come from Demetri Trice and Brad Davison because they, and they can do that with Nate. And I think that's a great part of this team to, to call guys out and they're not going to be so offended that it's going to be a problem on later on down the line. But my goodness, it was, that that was ugly. Very, very ugly what he did in the first half. Yeah, he, he got blocked inside on his first uh, shot. It was about two minutes into the game. Then he gave up a layup at the rim. And then 30 seconds later, he turned the ball over. He was at the top of the key, tried to throw an entry pass to, to Potter, and he threw it over him, and it went out of bounds. And then he gave up another bucket. He missed a putback. It, it was in transition. And he had a jump shot that went off the backboard. It didn't even hit the rim. And he subbed out with 12 minutes 14 seconds left or so. Um, I don't know who that guy was. I honestly think it was probably uh, from Space Jam. I think it was like they took his powers when he touched the ball and it wound up on a different planet. So I guess it's good he got it back in time for the uh, the end of the game there. Yeah, I mean, and he was also big from the free throw line too. He went six for six from the free throw line. It was He, he made an impact and he played important minutes and uh, Trace Jackson Davis... I don't know how much of it was Nate or how much of it was tired legs because he didn't sit a single minute in the second half. But Trace Jackson Davis was essentially a non-factor in over in both overtimes. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, he barely had any kind of a role offensively in the overtimes. And uh, you know Nate deserves credit for that. The Badgers defensively deserve credit for that. I mean, I think they went seven of twenty in the final sixteen thirty-eight of that game after uh, after Greg Gard said, "Screw it, <laughs> I don't care. We're just going to play defense." But yeah, the, the good and bad of Nate, right? Like that's the bad has been in the first half. The good has been in the second half. You just you just hope at some point for their sake that he can figure it out and and play basketball, play that type of basketball from the beginning and just not look like he is uh, playing basketball for the first time in his life because at a couple of times in the first half, it looked like that. The other two uh, guys that when you have Wall and Davis on the floor as much as you did in that 16-38, that means no Michael Potter and I should say very little Michael Potter and no Lean Ford. And people were wondering, you know, on Twitter, what... Where's where's Micah Potter? Now I learned my lesson last year. We've already talked about this, but I uh, in a previous show I learned my lesson last year in asking Greg Gard about why Micah Potter's not playing because um, he simply will say, "Did you watch the game?" And you would know if you watched the game. He's not playing because his defense was was not ideal, and so that was why Micah Potter was on the floor. And Greg Gard said, "If we're gonna, you know, essentially, if we're gonna lose this game, we're gonna lose it because we can't score, not because we can't stop them from scoring." And that's essentially what they did. I mean, they got enough offensively, and they were better defensively. That's why they won it. And Michael Potter was not on the floor for that reason, though he did come in and you know actually set up one of those Tyler Wall three pointers uh, with his with, in that uh, in the second overtime. But yeah, I mean, uh, his play on the defensive end was a problem at times last year, and it was a problem on Tuesday uh, against Indiana. It's why he didn't play. Yep, Jackson Davis had a dunk inside, and then. Indiana had a 54-50 lead, and, and Greg called timeout, and he took he put Wall in for Potter. And Wall was actually at the scorer's table before then, so I think I, he was about to go in for Potter anyway. I, I agree. but I agree, because and I think that play is what got Aleem Ford taken out, because Aleem didn't come over and help. And the dunk, you know, was it was just too easy of a dunk. 
yeah the help wasn't it, there it, it was interesting on the on the broadcast they showed replay afterward uh and one of the broadcasters described potter as being hot in the huddle yeah end quote that, that was what he said and you could see him talking to to tucker yep. he was trying to explain something or calm him down uh you know Emotions get heated, and when you're used to playing a lot and, and they pull you, it's probably pretty frustrating, but not the first time it's happened. And look, good for Greg for sticking to his guns and, and being confident enough in, in the guys that he had out there to pull it off. Uh, but I I just wonder, is this is this a recipe for success down the road? Because if you know if you're if, if Potter's not playing more than you know 24 minutes or 20 minutes or something like that. Can they make a deep run? I mean, I guess they can because they've got some some quality bench pieces, but it, it's not ideal to to feel like, you know, if it's a defensive liability out there with one of your your star players. But I feel like it's a it's a continued growth thing, and I know he's been here yes. now for for what two years? Close to yeah, about two years. He came in about this time two years ago. It's still it's still a, a I'm sure a, a work in progress. Like it's been a work in progress for everybody. Like learning those, learning those rules and learning the stuff that you have to do isn't something you can just get dropped in and be good at. Good at. Now, some guys are better than others, but I think, I think especially for big guys, it's, it's, a tougher, it's a tougher learning curve than it is for guards. And we've seen that, and that I think in part is the reason why it took, you know, for a long time, guys to make an impact as big men later in their careers, was, you know, that sophomore to junior jump or whatever it's going to be. Mike has been here for two years. Now he's obviously an older guy, but I still think it takes a little bit. He's got the athletic ability to do it, right? It's not like he doesn't have the ability to be a good defender. It's just, I think, locking in and, and doing it on a regular basis that uh, is causing kind of what we've seen. Because he has, at times he does it great. At times he's a really good defender. But against Indiana, it was not. It was not. It was it was a very, very rough look. And Greg Gard had seen enough. Yeah, and look, credit to Micah for having his head in there enough when he got back in there. He came in in the second overtime. Yeah, yep. I'm not mistaken. I'm, no, I'm he pretty didn't. sure. He didn't play at all the first overtime. No, nope, he, he came didn't. in with 421 left in the second overtime because Reavers picked up a foul. Yep, his fourth foul. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, he's he's in there during winning time. But, yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Greg about this a few years ago, just about the how much longer it generally takes for big men to to play, and especially in Wisconsin system and what's asked of them, how many big guys come in and end up redshirting or not really contributing at all? Even Nate Reavers, his first year, was not supposed to play, right. but they didn't have anyone left, and so they used him. And this is a guy who, uh, you know, is the all-time leading shot blocker already, very good player, uh, even though he struggled in the first half sometimes in Big Ten play. So it does take time. I mean, I think that, you know, if it, the fans are probably like, how much time do you need? And, you know, you're, you're a, a veteran player that's a senior should this still be happening but i think it's it's not something that's going away you know there's a lot of teams that can do this to him especially in the big 10 but again credit to him for for stepping up big when he got put back in the game but i mean this is something i imagine we're probably going to continue to see and the good thing for wisconsin is that they've got enough pieces coming off the bench to to not only contribute but to to make winning plays they do and aleem ford he he got back in the game late uh i think um regulation it was before it was trice's first make to send the game to overtime they put him back in on offense for tyler wall but obviously didn't get the ball in his hands that that possession but you know both those guys have at times had him and him and um, mike potter have had defensive lapses and it leads to what we saw against indiana but overall i mean that's that's a good win because um if you had lost that that's another loss to an unranked team at home that could potentially cost you 
in the Big Ten race that obviously is clearly, clearly going to come down to the last few games of the season. Yeah, it's just wild to me that you look at the Big Ten standings as we're having this discussion, and only four teams out of the 14 have a winning record, um, and they're all in the top 15 in the in the latest AP poll. But you're starting to see a little bit of separation. And how about the uh, the net rankings, which is everyone's favorite topic now that January has arrived. Wisconsin's sitting there at number 10, and Michigan's number 4. So this is a big-time game Huge. Uh, th- that's coming up. Huge, yeah. Could, it could really decide where they play in Indianapolis, uh, whether they play... <laughs> At one gym or yeah. play at another Which gym? gym in Indianapolis? I love it. <laughs> right? Yeah, but they might wind up. They might wind up in West Lafayette, or they might wind up in uh, in Bloomington. So a lot of uh, a lot at stake there. It's going to be a great race. I and I, well, I think we all thought it would be. Do we still think it's going to be fourteen and six or fifteen and five? It's going to win, it, or is it going to be even better than that? Oof. I mean. If it's going to be better, it's only going to come from a couple teams because there's so many teams that have losses. I, I'll still say no, no better than fifteen and five. If you get through this bad boy, fifteen and five, you deserve a, a one or a two seed. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? There's going to be a lot of high seeds, and I. The biggest question is: Can Michigan State turn it around? Can they figure something out and get back into it? They've they've obviously been really struggling and um, dropped out of the top twenty-five for good reason. But can they figure it out? I don't know. They just lost a one point game to Purdue and they're they're sitting there at what what are they two and four now in league play? Yeah. I mean, I don't the thing is you gotta leapfrog so many teams and it's gonna be hard to do. I, I can they? I, I I will never count out a Tom Izzo team. That's a cliche thing to say, but right. uh I think it's gonna be tough to catch the, the teams that are emerging at the top because they're playing consistent basketball and I, I don't I don't know. You're gonna have to go on a real heater to get up to t- get up there again. Yeah, for sure. All right, coming up next, going to be chatting with uh, Wisconsin assistant coach Orlando Tucker. Yes, we do bring in Wisconsin assistant coach Orlando Tucker here on the swing. Orlando, thank you for joining us. Uh, it was in a pretty exciting game there uh, against Indiana. A couple of things with, with you I just wanted to start out with, and uh, the television copy picked up you and Micah Potter – getting into it a little bit, uh, having an intense discussion, I would say. I think uh, people that follow this program know that, you know, Micah is an intense guy. What was that conversation about? No, Micah, Micah, it was me essentially calming Micah down. Like, they see a lot. Um, emotions are high during the game, and Micah has a, a, the ultimate respect, for, you know, for me and Micah have a great relationship. So I, I usually can calm Micah down. So it's me go, going to him, calming him down, saying, "Hey, let's think about it. Let's not act on emotion. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Calm down." I said, and I was just letting him kind of vent and saying, and "Call, okay. When you're ready to talk about things, let's just let's put the emotions down. Calm down. Breathe." And I was kind of talking him through that and said, "Okay, let's talk about the play." Let's, and after he calmed down, we were able to talk the play out. But it's hard to talk those plays out when guys are high emotional, emotionally coming out of the game. So I've been there before. So I know how to kind of calm them down and talk talk them through. I've done it before. It just so happened the game is you know the, the camera caught it, but it was just one of the discussions about one of the actions out there, and you know he didn't agree with what happened and kind of what happened afterwards. So it was kind of just us talking it through and saying, hey, you're going to go back on the floor. It's now let's figure it out, whether right, right or wrong or whose mistake it was. Let's figure it out how we can do it better. And and I'm a big person about accountability and ownership. And I say, let's take ownership and accountability on the things that you can do. What can you do better? And he talked it through, and he figured it out. And he was like, yep, you're right, coach. 
let's figure it out. But at the time of coming off, what everybody saw was raw emotion coming from Micah, um, and it looked like it was a it was a, a heated exchange or heated you know uh, interaction, but it actually wasn't. It was just him having emotion at the time, him showing it, him disagreeing with something that he saw, and 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 we just talked it through. Orlando, um, wanted to ask you about uh, Demetric and and Tyler. Um, you know, I know Demetric mentioned how much time you've spent with those two, just getting shots up. Can can you share the relationship that you developed and some of the things you've done to to put them in position to succeed? Yeah, um, man, I, was, I I did it last year a lot with Aline. Um, I look at and I kind of look at player different players and figure out, try to figure out. Where it is, I can help them with their game. When it comes to development, that's what I love. Like, I love to be able to take a guy's game and say, here's a plan for us to get better, go from here. I started working with Meech. I mean, we put in a lot of time. This dates back to uh, last year, January. And we were really putting in a lot of time and saying, hey, this is some of the things I'm seeing um, with some of the things and the misreads you're having offensively, but the ball's going to be in your hand a lot. So from that point, we worked on decision-making and ball screens at the end of shot clocks, how to – shield off defenders, how to read big men and where they're playing you, how to read different defensive concepts that people are playing them. So now, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I, I'm starting to understand more as a coach the rewarding aspect when you see guys really uh, it, it paying off the work that they're putting in. So that's with Meech and then Tyler, same thing. I'm, I see them struggle a little bit with confidence in his shot. And I've been just working on talking things through with them, talking a the game out. So I figure if they can really actually understand the game at a higher uh, level, you know, it's uh, physically it be, things become easier. So with Tyler, it's funny because before the game, we were working on all of those shots that I said, hey, man, a bulk of your shots are going to come from this wing to corner down. So we worked on a couple little mechanical uh, changes in his shot, and I was just saying, hey, just focus on this. Nothing else. Have confidence. Shoot the ball when you got it. And during the game, after he made his first shot, and I was super excited because we worked on it. He made five in a row prior to that, uh, the shoot around before the game. And as the second one come, was coming, the second shot he made in the uh, double OT, as it was coming to him, I saw the play unfolding, and I was yelling to him. I said, hey, well, I was actually talking to him, not yelling. He was in the corner. I was standing up the whole play. And I'm like, Tyler, it's going to come to you. I'm like, be ready to shoot it. Be ready to shoot it. And at that time, I didn't know if he was could hear me. But after the game, I said, hey, did you hear me? And he was like, yeah, I heard you, coach. And, and that is just those those types of moments are rewarding, man, because it's just the, you put in the work before the game. I say, you're going to get these shots. Shoot him. He shot him and made, ironically, the two biggest shots of the game. So it's rewarding. And I just try to pick different guys and see, you know, where they where they need some development and where I can come in and help. So that's what I love to do. Uh, just staying with, with Dimitrik, he's become your clutch guy, right? Like he's, he's been the guy, he's the guy that you go to when you, when you need a bucket. You've been around of got a lot of guys, either, I'm sure at Wisconsin, you know, during your career, you played with one in Cam Taylor was pretty clutch guy. Where, where do you think Demetri ranks in that? Is he, is he a guy that uh, you put uh, pretty high up in terms of guys that you've counted on and can count on to make that bucket? Uh, yeah, man. Like it's his whole career here. Um, through it all, Demetri Trice has been a you know a trustworthy person when he has the ball in his hand for the most part at the end of shot clock. He's, I mean, for if you look at it for the better half of like these past couple of games, he's quite honestly built us out of a lot of situations in terms of like making some tough shots. Right, you draw plays, but then you have certain players that you say, "Hey, after the play breaks down, what then? Then what? Then we talk about that. What then? What? And what can you do after that point? If, if every team's going to know our play calls, and then what?" That's when sometimes talent and 
um, and hard work has to pay off, and he's put in the work, and you can see it. that He's rising above breakdowns of, you know, play breakdowns and defensive schemes that's being thrown at him. He is clutch. I don't know where I can rate him yet. I'm going to wait for him to finish up the season. <laughs> I won't rank him before the season. It's just in case he hears this, I don't want his head to get too big. He wants to – I want to make sure he gets through it. But he's up there, and he's up there, you know, one of the most clutch that we've had in the program. Jonathan Davis played 41 minutes in that double overtime victory. Can you quantify what he has added to this team as a freshman and some of the things he's been able to, to do? Um, no, it's hard to quantify, right? Because on the stat sheet, you may not see it. You may not see it. A lot of people, when they looked at the stat sheet and saw maybe two for 11, I believe the shooting was, you don't see the little things, how he offsets like athleticism on, on any opposite team, opposing team's uh, uh, bench or starting lineup. He offsets it with the things he can do, how he reads the defense, the passes that he makes in the game, how he reads the game, how he goes down and rebounds. One of our best rebounding, uh, you know, rebounders, period. Uh, offensively, definitely one of our top rebounders. Um, he does so much. He's a, he's, a, he's a piece that you can put a little bit of everywhere and you can trust on him. Even if he, you know, makes a rookie mistake, a freshman mistake, he usually makes up for it as some with his athleticism and, and his IQ. He starts making up for certain mistakes. So, I mean, having him, yeah, it gives it's a luxury in a sense of having him that young and getting those type of minutes, quality minutes, because confidence comes from just getting minutes and getting that experience of being out on the court. And so he's getting it at this age where in, in key moments, in clutch moments at the end of games and overtimes that will pay off. It'll pay huge dividends for a kid like that. I've always considered you a, a quick jumper. Would you consider yourself a quick jumper, a guy who can get up, you know, really quick and come down and get back up really quick, like if you need multiple jumps? Um, oh, yeah. You, I, I've always thought that of you. I kind of see that in him, too. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's got it. He's got that quick twitch fiber that, yeah, he bounced, he can get right back up. You know, I was I was a guy a lot of times I, I talked to the coach, we laugh about it. I would say I would sometimes if you had me at the wrong angle, I would throw the ball at the rim and go get it really quick before you did. <laughs> And I was, I would say, you're not beating me to that ball. So um, he's got, he's got that, and he's got to just. What we got to do is just hone in on some skill development, or certain aspects, and how to read the game better. And once he gets that, I mean, it's uh, the sky's the limit for that kid. Like he's got so much raw talent and and, and heart, and that's one of the things you got. He's got this fearlessness about him that no matter who's playing, no matter the name on the front of the jersey. No matter the ranking of a team, he doesn't care. He's like, line, line him up and I'll knock him down. So he's, uh, he's got that mentality that's going to carry him a long way as well. Expectations for this team are understandably high. And, uh, you know, this is a team that didn't have the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament last year and the year before the team lost in the opening round. How much stock do you put into the idea that a team needs tournament experience to make a deep run in March? Um, no, nah, I don't put any – I don't put any – uh, I don't put too much in it, too much weight into that. Ultimately, man, it comes down to how healthy you are at the end and how you're playing towards the end, how you build it. The best teams are usually, they start rolling towards the end of it. You start seeing the second half of their conference play and you see how they're coming together. If you start looking at some of those tendencies, how healthy is a team? When you're looking at those, I guess, those qualities or you, you add those dynamics in, those variables, it's health and it's it's chemistry and how you're rolling and playing together and so how do you get that as you build it up game by game you're understanding and learning each other game by game so it ultimately comes down to that that confidence that you have ending your seat ending your conference play out right and how healthy everybody is towards that 
that time. So, I mean, with our, our leadership and our guys that played, I mean, if you look at their careers, they've played a lot of minutes. they played a ton of minutes and uh, a lot of big-time games. It's going to come down to that, that experience, I guess, for us. Um, we got a lot more to prove. We got so much more to prove. And we're trying to take it game by game. But uh, if you're looking ahead, I mean, hopefully we'll – our veteran or upperclassmen uh, ship will will pay pay off for us in those moments. You, you talk about leadership, especially among that senior class, but it even it's among like one senior to another senior. We heard Demetric talk about after the game, him and Brad going up to Nate Reavers uh, when he was struggling there in that first half against Indiana and tell him to get his uh, head out of his butt. And I, I guess that wasn't the exact wording that was used. <laughs> but how valuable is that as an assistant coach to not have to go and say that to Nate, that you can have a guy like Demetric or Brad because they've played and they've been together for so long that it when they're not going to take offense to it. How valuable is that as an assistant, as a coaching staff, to see that? Yeah, I mean, the best teams are player-led teams, Right. Coaches understand how to set a culture and a foundation and, and principles, but the best teams that you see are you need that. You need someone, and whether it's an upperclassman or it's a young, confident freshman or sophomore that's doing it, you need those guys to be able to, in those moments, lift someone else. But that's, that's the great thing about sport and about team sport. Like, you're not going to bring it every single night. You're not going to be at your best. But when you have someone that can not only – lift themselves up but lift you up and just give you a word of encouragement whether it's hey man you got it hey pick it up man we got you we'll hold you. like that's the great thing about team sport is having your teammates to be able to lean on when you're struggling and Nate's a gamer I always tell him after every game I say a person I trust that's going to make a big play in key moments Nate can have a crappy game all game and when it comes down to winning time Nate's a winner he knows how to play if you watch him on uh, Trace Jackson Davis and holding him to one point, I think, in 15 minutes, the last and two overtimes. And uh, I, Nate understands the game and understands how to play. So it's sometimes he just he pushes his he pushes his uh, lock in and focus button a little too late. I tell him sometimes they push that focus button a little bit earlier, come into the game and, and, and when he is when he's locked in. I mean, I trust Nate to make those right plays anyway. But it's, it's good to have your teammates to lift you up when you're you're down for a second. You're on your way right now to uh, head out to play Michigan. This is a, a big game. I know there's a lot of big games in the in this conference, but two top ten teams. I think it's the first time they've met as two, as top ten teams, which is sort of astounding. Can you uh, give us a little breakdown on on what you expect to see from Michigan and, and what you feel like Wisconsin needs to do well to to win this one? Hey, we got to continue to play. You got to continue to move the ball, play it, share it well, rebound. We got. I mean, they got six, seven guys that are. I mean, they're playing great. They're moving the ball, playing well together. We got to make sure that we're we're taking away the things they want to get to. And Dickinson being able to play down low, he's been a force down low. We got to limit those opportunities. We got to we can't let them get out and transition and run. I mean, if we play Wisconsin basketball, we always say it specifically with this team is not beating ourselves. So if we get off and we come there and we're we're turning the ball over, uh, and, and the turnovers that lead into their fast break into their transitions, that's not good for us, right? So. Um, we don't have this year. We don't have to worry about opposing crowds, <laughs> so that 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 that's not a worry. So that that doesn't have an advantage or play to an advantage on the road or you know at home. So we we just have to focus on bringing energy, manufacturing our own energy, coming off the jump, ready to set a tone earlier defensively. So we're doing that. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle. I mean, you just never know what to expect during these times. I just you know our guys look focused. They look ready. They're hungry. They know they got something uh, that they're trying to shoot towards. So 
we're just going to go in there you know, and, and play our game. It was a big among the uh, bigger road wins for you guys last year going into Michigan and getting that one. We'll see if you can get it done again Tuesday night. Orlando Tucker, thank you very much for joining us. Yep, thank you. Appreciate Orlando Tucker joining us here on the swing. Jesse, um, what do you think? What do you, what do you think their chances are of going in and getting a, another big road win uh, at Michigan? I like their chances. It's a veteran team that's coming off a big time win against Indiana at home. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, this could be an early preview of the two best teams in the Big Ten. I mean, I, I like Wisconsin's chances. Yeah. I mean, I, again, Wisconsin has, um, I don't want to say that. Is it accurate to say they played up and down to their competition this year? At least at least in Big Ten play. At times. I mean, it still amazes me that they go through stretches and, and they, they can't score, but you got to remember that <laughs> the other teams are, are pretty good too. I mean, there was a stretch against Minnesota, which is a game that we didn't talk about, but they, they played since the, the last time uh, we had a show. And Minnesota went 3-for-21 from the field, and there was a five-minute drought where they – didn't make a shot from the field and we're only down by four points, but it's the big 10 and this stuff's going to happen. So I think they're going to come out and play well. And like Orlando said, there's no crowd there. And I do think that makes a big time difference on the road. No, it certainly does made a difference at Michigan state. There's no doubt about that. I mean, if, if Wisconsin gets down, which against Michigan state, which they did, it was like they were down by nine in the second half and the crowds roaring. Are they able to come back as well as they did? Probably not. Uh, I think it certainly plays a factor in, in places that are tough to play, and Michigan has been uh, a tough place to play. That reminds me, though, of the game that they did not play. Uh, Wisconsin did not get to play at Penn State because of COVID issues. Uh, Penn State still has not played as of uh, this recording, and so they're they're certainly dealing with their issues. Is this something that could uh, derail the season, do you think? We're seeing it in the NBA. Games have been postponed in the NBA because of COVID issues. I know we kind of talked about it at the beginning of the year, whether they're going to get through the entire thing. but And I know it's only one team in the Big Ten, but we've seen other teams uh, have to uh, put things on hold at times this year. Are we going to get through this season? Yeah, I think we are. I think once the decision was made to start this bad boy, and, and we've seen college football, even though some teams played six games and some teams played 12 uh, there's a, a national championship game being played. So, yeah, I'm, I feel pretty confident that we're going to get through this, but I can't say that every team's going to play the same number of games. Uh, I just hope everyone's healthy enough to compete in March, and we'll have to see how it plays out, but this is kind of our new normal, and certainly looking forward to the game on Tuesday. And Hunter Dickinson, man, a lot of talk about him. Seven-foot guy, leads the team in scoring and rebounding. I think that's going to be the matchup to watch with Michigan. Isn't he s- shooting like 70, was it 73? Three percent from the field, seventy-three out of a hundred, and I'm no math major, but that's an easy one. So yeah, that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he's only taken three three pointers. Not that you would expect a seven footer to 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 step out there that much, but he's doing his work down low. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup for sure. And uh, Wisconsin will try to get to five and one and get a. a I mean, hand Michigan their first loss. I mean, no one else has been able to do it. We'll see if Wisconsin can. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.